everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we're talking about Tenet. Not Tenant, which is what I've been calling this film uh, over and over, and to the point where my wife is now calling it Tenet as well. It is Tenet, like uh, a sort of belief or idea, Tenet. Uh, very interesting, but uh, this is going to be a little a little different of a review. I saw this movie opening night with my brother uh, last Thursday, and needless to say, the short end of the stick is loved it, thought it was awesome, and I knew upon first viewing that I would not be able to fully comprehend this film uh, without seeing it at least a second time, though... With COVID and the weird uh, situation with movie theaters, we've been in a really weird struggle. Uh, my brother, myself, and my cousin, we all have uh, the AMC Stubbs Pass, uh, the A-List Pass, and we all just reactivated it. We were all planning to go on Thursday. My cousin ended up canceling at the last minute because of an NFL draft. Uh, consequently, we were all supposed to go see the movie again yesterday with our respective wives, and my cousin had to cancel again because of fantasy football. Uh, so I almost would love to do a sort of like tenant situation with fantasy football where uh, instead of it traveling forward through time, it goes backwards and we never see it again. Uh, but that is not the point of this podcast. This podcast is to celebrate this movie. Uh, but what I would like to talk about today, along with a, a quick little review, I will be going into spoilers on this film. Uh, but then I'm also going to kind of just be talking about the theater experience still. I, th I, I feel it pertinent to inform everyone as to how cinemas are doing in uh, one city in the country, along with, I guess you could say, the, um, the box office as well. I think while it's not a perfect indicator, obviously we're in a psychotic time right now. Uh, my brother and I had a really good discussion yesterday just about the box office in general, and so I wanted to talk about that as well. So, uh, like I said, I would have loved to have seen this movie a second time by the time that I'm recording this, but honestly, I would rather talk about this movie again in 10 years when I've seen it a hundred times and can really dissect uh, what this film is. Because honestly, even after a second viewing, I imagine a lot of us out there are still going to be confused by this film. Uh, I've heard multiple reviews of this movie. Um, uh, my brother's girlfriend uh, was nannying for a family, and they went to go see Tenet. She or she was babysitting while they went to go see Tenet, uh, which is great. I'm glad we can still have that sort of thing. Pa families can go out, check out the movies. Uh, but apparently they walked out after 40 minutes because they didn't understand what was going on. And that was one conversation that my brother and I had that is, is essentially the crux of Christopher Nolan films. So this being no different, written and directed by Christopher Nolan, starring, starring a lot of the same people that he's employed in his other films, such as, uh, and actually to his defense, not a lot in this one, Michael Caine. And I feel like there's one other person who was in this that was in some of his other films. But otherwise, it's a fresh cast, and honestly, one of my favorite casts of his so far. So you've got Elizabeth Debicki, who uh, plays Cat. Uh, phenomenal job. And uh, for those of you who didn't already know, based off of any sort of set visits, photos, whatever, from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, or uh, there's a couple of other great movies that she's she's in, and uh, you know, I feel like I should call them out. Oh, no way! She was in Great Gatsby. Uh, love that movie. She was in Widows. 
She was in Valerian. She was a voice in Valerian. But yes, and you may know her as Princess Diana from uh, The Crown. And she was also in Everest as Caroline McKenzie and the man from Uncle as Victoria. That's right. She was Victor. She just she's all she's been really good at playing sort of a villain, but she does a really good job at also playing a non-villain. But what I was getting at is she's very tall. And I no way. No way. Oh man, she was born in 1990. I would not have believed it had you told me. And I was telling someone this the other day. That's so funny. Uh, I was saying like, man, she was so tall in this movie. And I do not mean that as a insult. I mean that in the highest compliment for her. Uh, I love tall women. And um, she is no different in that regard. She just towers over everyone in the scenes that she's in. And it gives her this power that you don't see a lot. And I don't know. I just, I was entranced by her. She is six, two and three quarters is what it says on IMDb. So she's a little taller than my dad and uh, no one is taller than my dad. So she is clearly, she is a, um, what would be the word? She's a legend. Uh, but 1990 in Paris, France, she was born. She is literally a year older than me. Um, a, a year and like three months older than me, which kind of bums me out because not only did she grow faster than I did, but arguably more successful than me. Though I would I would gladly agree that my success is not uh, predicated on someone who is a very famous actor. But again, you, you're looking at it, I've gotten to that age now, and I'm sure a lot of you have too, or all of the people that you follow you know, have always been older than you. The actors that, uh, you know, oh, I don't even know the name of one, but you would say whatever they are, they're usually older than you, right? Like they're always older than you. And then you start seeing all the young, the young guns who start coming in, the new classes of actors that come in and it's like, wait, they're how old? And uh, this is one right now where you're getting this. This is my live reaction on comics and cinema. This is a comics and cinema first of a live reaction based on an actor's age and height. So let's just say Elizabeth Debicki is impressive. Uh, but let's move on to another impressive specimen. Robert Pattinson uh, kills it in this movie as Neil. He is sort of the counterpart to John David Washington's protagonist, which is funny enough, the name of his character, the protagonist, he doesn't get a name in the movie, didn't bother me at all. Um, but John David Washington was an absolute standout. Uh, I need to see him in more movies. And as I was in this, I was like, man, he would be good in a Marvel movie. And I was, I got to the point where I was almost whispering, he'd be a good Black Panther, uh, just because he his the action scenes he killed it in. He's got this subtle, uh, quiet humor that is just it's it's gold. He really made this uh, this movie set itself excuse me set itself apart from a lot of the other Nolan movies in that it was pretty funny. Uh, just just because of him and a little bit of Robert Pattinson. Uh, there's a surprise guest uh, that we see towards the end in Aaron Taylor Johnson. And I'm telling you this now because, yes, you may be questioning whether or not it is Aaron Taylor Johnson. Good news, it is. And then also Kenneth Branagh is in this movie. And uh, he plays the villain, which is also awesome because typically I, I haven't seen Branagh play the villain in a while except when he was directing Artemis Fowl. Whoa! Oh, look at that. Shots fired. Sorry, Kenny. But um, I loved you directing Thor, and I loved you in uh, Chamber of Secrets, and also really enjoyed Murder on the Orient Express, and I'm sure all your stuff on Broadway was fantastic, but come on. I mean, obviously you didn't have a lot to work with with Artemis, but 
Uh, I can't pass that up. And obviously, there's a quick, very quick uh, showing from Michael Caine as well. And again, it is always a treat when we can see a king amongst kings like Michael. Uh, make me like Mike is what I would say. But um, the movie is two hours and 30 minutes long. So yes, it is a long movie. No, much like all of his other films, it does not feel that long unless you are checking your clock. And surprisingly, and I'll be honest, uh, New Mutants felt longer than this movie did. I was checking my mask more. I was, you know, wondering how much longer. And maybe again, that was because I had just gotten into the theater for the first time, this being my second time in the theaters. But um, overall, the theater experience was fantastic. Uh, I we we sat in a we went to Dolby for this showing, and they don't block off everything because they're in rows. They're not next. The seats aren't next to each other. The ones in front and behind you. So the the seats next to us were blocked off, but there were other people in the row. And uh, what didn't make me super comfortable, what made me even less comfortable, and I am 100% okay calling this out, I know AMC's CEO, Aaron uh, Adam Aaron, uh, listens to comics and cinema, so uh, Aaron, listen up, uh, I'm sitting in this seat, uh, Dolby seat, and I, I sit down, my butt pushes the, the cushion down, and what do I find in the cracks but popcorn, other people's popcorn. That is not okay when you are claiming that your cleaning strategies are impeccable, that they are better than ever. That is not the case, and I know that's not the case. Most people would have agreed and guessed that it is not the case, but I can confirm that I don't know what cleaning strategies they're using, whether that's just wiping down the seats, which is fine, but almost as gross is seeing other people's food in my uh, in there and, and obviously sloppy people eating. But neither here nor there, just another nitpick. The other thing that I would point out and is something that I've seen in reviews that I will agree with the sound in this movie is, um, the sound editing is not great. Uh, and I say that because multiple instances in the film, it was very hard to hear what the characters were saying. This is not like a, oh, it was a really quiet scene and, and, and something happens. No, this was like normal things were happening and people were talking and you couldn't hear them because of background noise. Part of that is probably because it was in Dolby that sounds a little bit better. Uh, but also, I wouldn't be surprised if that's in the other theaters because, again, this is a problem other people have complained about as well. So uh, I don't know if that will be an improvement when we watch it at home versus in the theaters. But that was a little jarring to be like, okay, what did they say? But the nice thing about Nolan, this Nolan movie at least, is like you're never going to understand the film the first time you watch it anyway. So like it doesn't matter if you miss a couple of sentences. You're still going to be confused. And to me, that was a good thing. Um, there was another, I feel like there was another nitpick, but I want to point this out in regards to sort of like the, not, not an Oscar discussion, but in Oscar categories, I would say do not give Tenet any nominations for sound mixing or sound editing. Um, and maybe one or the other, maybe the sound editing was good because there were some really cool explosions and sounds, but the mixing was absolutely terrible because you could not hear the talking over some of that stuff. But the score was a standout. The score was incredible. Ludwig Göransson did the score of this movie. For those of you who go, oh, that name sounds familiar. It is. He did the score for Black Panther. He also did the score for The Mandalorian. And this is prob this may be one of his best works. And I say that because it's a very general description. All I'm saying is 
Uh, Ludwig is at the top of his game right now, and I am so happy that he joined the crew to make this uh, score. The score is just Im- incredible. And then when the movie ends and you get Travis Scott's song, holy cow! Like it just everything musically in this is in this movie was perfect. Would I couldn't have asked for anything better. So you've got Ace performances, A plus score, iffy sound mixing. Um, a, a very interesting plot that is confusing at times, but that is, again, a hallmark of a Christopher Nolan movie. And I think there's also something, and, and this was what I kind of, when we got out of the theater, my first thing I said to my brother was, I said, I wonder if Chris is just kind of hanging out on his yacht or on his, you know, in his, his private island, and he's just sitting there, and his brother Jonathan's like, doing like, he's like building something he's at, he's like doing some work, and Chris is just kind of sitting on the couch. J- John! I think I come up with another idea, and he's like, "What, well, Chris? Another idea? What? What now? You, you know about time?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, like in Interstellar." And I don't know why I'm going into an Australian accent, but anyway, he's he's like, "You know, I I've got this idea," and then he just starts. I just feel like he just gets these ideas in his head, and he's like, "Ooh, I want to talk about like I want to write about that." And so this is like his exploration into time. We've gotten his his exploration into dreams, into space, and in a sense, time as well. But this is a very a much more concrete version of time, whereas Interstellar felt a lot more uh, ambiguous and fluid. It's like, okay, how do we know you go into a black hole and go back in time and not just get swallowed up in a hole? I mean, it's possible, but at the same time, how do we not know that uh, you know you can make a bullet travel backwards in time? It's a little less believable, I suppose, but still the way they explain it makes a lot more sense. And the trick of it is, and this is where we'll start getting into uh, spoilers for this movie. So if you don't want to get be spoiled, just know that I can highly recommend this movie. I have it at a 10 out of 10. It is, uh, as my brother would say, it's a 10. Uh, that's why it's called 10. And that's probably... I don't know if that, uh, we'll see if that joke lands or not. Good luck. Hey, again, it wasn't my joke. But uh, the other thing my brother said that was really, really funny when we left was he said, this movie basically just felt like a Grand Theft Auto heist. And it really does. When you uh, when you look at all the things, and, and we'll get into spoilers here shortly, but the long, actually, spoilers are starting right now. So press pause, go see the film, or continue listening at your own peril. It's a Grand Theft Auto heist because you've got, you know, a giant plane, explosions, heists, um, characters dressed up in masks, in a sense. You've got the giant gold bars, um, gun shootouts, dra- car driving. It, it felt like we were in a Grand Theft Auto game, and, and I loved that. I thought that was fantastic. But so this movie is really interesting, and I'm not going to do a plot for plot, uh, shot for shot sort of thing for this. Go see the movie in theaters. But uh, a couple of the bits that I wanted to talk about were in, in the very beginning, uh, John David Washington is meeting with um, with Fleur Delacour. I don't know her real name. I can probably pull it up on here. Clemency Poisey, I believe. Uh, she was in, yeah, okay, cool. Yep, Cle- uh, Clemency maybe, Poisey. She's from France. But uh, she played Fleur Delacour in uh, the Harry Potter movies. She was also in Imbruges. But um, she's like a scientist. And so John goes to this place. And, you know, this was something I, I think we do need to talk about. We'll start before that. So the, the movie starts, and here we go, talking shot for shot, uh, with the preview that we see for Tenet in the opera house where people it's being shot up. 
Uh, wasn't a huge fan of that. Even seeing it in theaters still made me go like, whoa, that's wild to see that. It just because, you know, of theater shootings. But uh, we find out it's all a cover for trying to get some device. Classic Nolan story. Uh, but within this chase, uh, John David Washington and a couple of other people get captured by, like, the Russians or something. And they're being t- they're tied up on chairs in a train yard. And the Russian guy is trying to get John David Washington to give up his his uh, his co-workers. And he won't do it. He's like, I'm not going to, basically, I'm not going to wrap my team out. He's trying to kill himself. And he tries to take a, a little silver poison pill. And the guy's like, uh-uh-uh, you're not going to do that. But then one of the other guys on his team has a little silver pill and is holding it behind his in his, in his hands that are tied up behind his chair. John sees this and gets the hint. He like makes a big show of falling over and grabs the pill and takes it. And the next thing he knows, he's awake on a ship. On a big ship, a yacht, you might say, with this guy who, um, let's see if I can find him on this list. He, Martin Donovan, maybe? Uh, I think so. Yes, Martin Donovan. He, uh, he, he's on the ship and he basically says, ah, welcome back to the land of the living. And he's like, what happened? Did I die? And he's like, no, no, no. That was a, it was a test basically. Like, would you give up your, your squad? And you didn't. And now you're on the other side. You're a dead man. So like the world thinks he's dead. Uh, but he says, I'm going to tell you something that's going to open a lot of doors for you, but it may not always open the right doors. And he does this thing where he says, he goes, it's one word tenant but he also does this thing thing where he puts his hands almost in a praying position where you would cross your hands together but not closing your hands so just open uh intertwining your fingers he says this will you know this is it's like the code word so as the movie goes on he's like meeting with flor delacour and she's teaching him about tenant or about this thing called inversion where apparently and this is what she says and this is how i i've understood it she first says it is a lot easier if you just don't think about it and i specifically as an audience member said you got it floor i will do that and and i didn't and there were still times where i was like this is getting too complicated but then i was like whoa 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 just don't think about it and then it helped instantly helped because again it's like your mind can't comprehend time the way that this movie is explaining it and showing it so it really is hard to understand but it isn't a bad thing that's the same as someone being like oh i don't like this movie because of time travel it doesn't make sense it's like of course it doesn't make sense it's time travel but that doesn't make it a bad movie and so she's explaining it to him that this is and it's as such somebody in the future has created a science, a device that can invert things. And essentially, the explanation is everything, and I I know I've talked about this on a prior podcast, that's why I love this movie so much, everything is going through entropy. Everything on our planet is dying in one form or another. Uh, The best example is like you take a bag of sand and you pour out that bag of sand. It is infinitely easier to pour out the sand than it is to put the sand back in the bag. It's impossible. It's the same with a cat. 
uh, cat inside of bag, the minute that you let the cat out, you cannot get the cat back in the bag. The 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 can opening a can of worms, it's the same thing. Th- everything moves forward in time. A glass falls on the ground and breaks. You can't put it back perfectly to how it was before unless you have glue. And that's kind of how they explained it, is that these objects become inverted. And so instead of moving forward in time, they are moving backward through time. So in the example that you see in the trailers of like the cars and all those things have been inverted. So the bullet, for example, there he, so she sets a bullet on the ground or on the table. She says, pick up this bullet without touching it. And he's like, I don't understand. And she's like, you need to understand it as it already happened. And it's like, again, very confusing, but think of it this way. She And she even goes to this much. She films him doing it. He holds his hand over the bullet, and the bullet travels up into his hand, and he closes his fist. He's like, I don't get it. She's like, well, watch the video. In the video, when you play it back, it just looks like he's dropping the bullet. And so she's explaining inverted objects can operate as if they've already been done. So when you're firing a bullet, you're not necessarily, well, and you're not firing the bullet, you're catching the bullet because it's coming backwards into your gun. Very trippy stuff because, again, it's like, okay, what's the point? Why is that a point? Like, that to me doesn't matter at all. Well, as the movie goes on, we find out that through inversion and through this process that this future scientist created, she found a way, they found a way, I'm pretty sure it was a she, I'll assume it's a she, women are very smart, uh, she uh, created a, some way of ending the world with an algorithm. So again, classic Christopher Nolan, but uh, essentially this algorithm, this uh, called the uh, I think it's called Tenet, or no, Tenet is the um, like the group of people. I honestly wasn't even clear what Tenet was. We're gonna get to all of this, but so basically, um, there's the, there are nine pieces scattered about in the in the present that were buried in the past from the future, so that they wouldn't be discovered. So essentially, this scientist created a way to end the world as we know it. And the way they explain it is like, okay, well, if everything goes forward through time and you do this with this machine, it essentially sends everything backward through time or something to essentially destroy the planet. Everything would be destroyed. And they're explained, they explained something in the movie too that was interesting called like the grandfather theory where if you went back in time to kill your grandfather, how would you even be able to do that? Because if you killed him, how would you be born? And that was the kind of the explanation of this is like, do we know that this machine could even do it? No, but are you willing to risk it to find out? Because if not, all of, you know, the world would be destroyed. So because she knew the power of this, and again, you I don't think you ever find out who this is. Maybe this takes a second viewing and it's a someone who is in the movie, but um, this scientist sent all of those nine pieces, scattered them around the world, Uh, in the past so that no one in the future could find them and then killed herself so that nobody would be able to find them. Well, turns out someone has been finding them. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, he was too busy looking for these artifacts to properly give love and attention to Artemis Fowl, which is ironic because Artemis could have probably helped him find these devices. Um, uh, Certainly not the Artemis in the film, but uh, the Artemis in the books. Uh, Now, 
Uh, so we get to the crux of the movie. And again, two and a half hours of this going by, there's a lot of things that I'm skipping over, and that's fine because you need to see this movie. But by the end of it, we find out Kenneth has all of the pieces except for one, and that is the piece that they were trying to get in the opera. And there's a big old hullabaloo about that. I mean, he's been being assisted by Robert Pattinson. There's a really cool scene uh, at an airport that I'm not going to go into. Again, I don't want to spoil everything about this movie, but I do want to talk about that big piece, this big piece at the end. So the plan, his big evil plan, is that he has been doing his own inversions. And he actually, he has cancer, uh, Kenneth Branagh. And he decides that if I can't live, basically, and he, his wife is Elizabeth Debicki, and she hates him, he's terrible, he's abusive, he's uh, just a terrible person, but there's a, a spot where she's like, why won't you let me go, and he says, if I can't have you, nobody can, and he has that same exact philosophy with uh, the world, he's like, if I'm dying, I have cancer, if I die, like, no one else can have this world, and that's why, so he is, he has rigged a dead man switch to his Fitbit, and, um, in order, so if he dies, it automatically triggers this device. And so at the same time, John David Washington and company are trying to find this device, stop it before it explodes. But what's interesting is they have to go back in time in some portions of it too. So it's 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 very trippy, very awesome. But what I, I find interesting is that uh, his plan, Kenneth Branagh's plan, essentially hinged on him taking one of those silver pills and i just and there's an, another another instance as well when they're talking about inversion and it's it's lost me i just remember going well that's interesting in in that the hand motion of interlocking your hands they're explaining is uh one of the things that is like a, a side effect, I think, of inversion that you could get caught in between. Like if you, it was like if you see yourself in the real world. I don't. I wish I could remember, and I'm glad I don't because I don't want to spoil it. If it is some super secret thing, but all I gotta say is, Chris, I'm on to you, man. I I think I figured this out. <clears throat> I can't prove it, but I was wondering, is John David Washington the one who created this device? Because we find out at the end that John and Robert Pattinson knew each other for years in the future, but this mission was their first mission. Ironically, John's first mission with Robert and Robert's last mission with John through this whole inversion nonsense that I, again, is it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it's confusing to talk about. But so I'm like, okay, so did he create Tenet? Did he set it up? And I think he sort of did. And, but we don't get a, a lot of info on that unless, again, you try and watch the movie twice. But so there's just this really interesting bit where I'm like, I feel like there's something there. I feel like with that silver kill pill, there is something there. Um, but then by the end of it, you know, obviously everything sort of works out for the best, I think. I don't know, honestly. A lot of stuff happened. But overall, it was incredible. Like I said, it's just the perfect Christopher Nolan movie. It's probably one of his weirder ones, and that's saying a lot because I I don't I haven't gotten really confused in any of his movies. Maybe just Interstellar in terms of like what did I just watch? Like what was that wormhole at the end? But like we get Inception. Inception was easy, and they really explained it to you. Like you go into a dream, and uh, oh, the Prestige. These are magicians. Whereas here. 
he does not tell you a lot about what is going on. This is a very heady movie, and I really advise all of you to follow Flor Delacour's uh, pronouncement to not think about it. Just enjoy the film. Which leads me back to uh, that original piece my brother and I were talking about was um, you know that, that family that walked out 40 minutes into the, um, into the film saying they didn't understand what it was. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily blame them. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, personally, I don't know why you would walk out 40 minutes into a two and a half hour movie. Like, give it a little bit more time. I just, I personally can't imagine even walking out of a movie. And I think I've only done it once, maybe. I know my brother did uh, for, was it The Great Wall, maybe? There's certain instances where I feel like you could walk out of a movie if it's that bad. Like, I don't, but it's like, what's the point? You, they already got your money. Why don't you just watch the rest of it and la- have a good laugh? Whereas with this, it's like if you just gave it a little more time, you may have had some things click. And so that's where my brother and I had this really interesting conversation around the different types of people that enjoy movies and kind of how that frames up the uh, the movie landscape. And it's not, I, I, I hope this doesn't come across as like a superiority thing, an us versus them thing. It certainly isn't. I personally think that we need both of these types of people in order for the movies to continue to be successful and continue to be a staple in our economy, a staple in our society. Um, Essentially, there are two different types of people, and this is a theory. This is not a fact. Um, There there are the Christopher Nolan people, and there are the non-Christopher Nolan people. And I, again, stress that this is an insane generalization. But the point I'm trying to make is you've got people who are going to the theater, who are getting a babysitter to go to the movies and then walk out of a film that they paid for. Not only did they pay for that movie, but they've waited months to go back to the theaters. Again, maybe they did. Maybe they didn't care. Maybe they didn't even think about the movies during COVID. But someone like me, I have been dying to go to the movies and uh, to walk out forty minutes in on your first showing. Again, maybe they were uncomfortable. I don't know the situation, but that type of person, they are not trying to watch a Christopher Nolan movie. They are trying to watch a New Mutants movie is what I explained to my brother just because, again, those were the last two films that I saw. But New Mutants is a very basic cookie-cutter film Uh, that doesn't make it terrible. To some, it would. To a very staunch Christopher Nolan movie-type person, it might. They may say that it's a terrible movie because it's so basic and it's so boring in its plot. Um, again, I enjoyed the action. I enjoyed some bits and pieces of it. Um, would I see it again? Yeah, actually I would. If it was free on streaming, I'd throw it on before bed or whatever the case may be. But, um, but I certainly, and I didn't walk out of that movie. Now there are the Christopher Nolan people who, like my brother, who would be, you know, standing in the front of the line to go see this Christopher Nolan movie, but would go into New Mutants or, as as my brother has pointed out multiple times for many Marvel movies, uh, joked about how dumb the plot is or how commercialized the movie is. That's because those movies aren't made for him. They're not made for the Christopher Nolan movie person, the person who is struggling for two and a half hours to uh, contemplate time and figure out how this works. No, no, no. They're for the people who are... All, they just want to go to the movies. They want to be entertained. And so, again... 
I personally believe that both of those people are required to have a successful movie environment, a movie ecosystem, if you will. Because if you just have Christopher Nolan movies out there, there is a whole entire part of the country that will not go and go to the movies. They're not, clearly these people are leaving and walking out because they don't understand it. They don't whatever the case may be. They want that security and that comfort of seeing a movie that they know how it ends. It's got a uh, arc A, B, and C uh, with a climax, a twist towards the end, like I've talked about way in the past on comics and cinema about the typical movie premise of of three acts and all of that. There are a lot of people that thrive on those they do not want to go to the movies to think they want to go to the movies to escape thinking and again nothing wrong with that i i applaud that i'm just glad you're going to the movies uh but then again you got those other people who are looking down on them saying well ugh, like all these movies are the same the plot is the exact same for all of these films praise king christopher nolan for coming up with a plot that is so different so unique every single time name another filmmaker and i'm sure you could but uh someone like nolan who's got so many credits to his name the following memento uh the dark knight trilogy interstellar inception dunkirk uh tenet all these films prestige and uh it's just they're all so different and they're all heavy think pieces they are not something like door in the explorer door of the explorer which is again a shout out because that is now on streaming um or even like a movie like mulan where uh again very uh not so basic plot but just it's you you know how the movie is going to end for the most part whereas a movie like this you have no idea how it's going to end so it was just an interesting conversation that him and i had and again i would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this i'm sure there are very very um a lot of gray areas if you will in between those two types of people i would call myself one of those gray areas i love both types of movies i i would say that i'm just a cinephile i am a lover of all film now there are certain types of movies that i don't like uh, but that doesn't make me respect them less there are certain movies that i respect less but that uh doesn't make me say uh you know tell well trying to dig myself out of this hole but there are certain movies that i don't like uh, but for the most part, I will go see New Mutants and Tenant in theaters, whereas someone like my brother may only go see Tenant or did only go see Tenant, or some other person may only go see New Mutants. So again, I think we need that synergy between all those types of people in order for the movies to stay in business. We can't just have a bunch of Trolls World Tour type movies. We have to have the Christopher Nolan movies, and we can't just have Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, as much as those people would like it to be as so, um, you got to have a little bit for everyone. And that's what's great about the movies is there is always something out there for everybody. Though I will say right now, there is not a lot out there for everybody. Uh, the only things in theaters right now are Tenet and New Mutants, along with a couple of other films that are sparse throughout the country, uh, along with some other uh, interesting tidbits of, of bringbacks. I saw 42 is at my theater as well. Um, so last weekend, just as an example, Tenet only made $20 million. Uh, New Mutants made $2 million. And if it helps, New Mutants made like $7 million maybe the week before for um, on its opening weekend. I'm going to click on it real quick just to double check. Yeah, it made $7 million. So $20 million is is nothing to scoff at in that regard, but uh, really just leads to the spot where um, I don't think people are ready to go back to the movies. 
or, or nor they do they want to and that's a very it's very obvious it seems like right but in uh, in a world where the movie theaters aren't cleaning up their seats uh, they're only showing certain films. You got something like Tenant where it's only showing in theaters. You can't stream it. You can't see it in a drive-in. How is that not um, condescending towards people who can't afford to go to the movies or don't want, can't afford to financially or can't afford to health-wise and are choosing not to go to the movies? So they are being punished and not getting to see your think piece uh, because of their beliefs. So, you know, if anyone is feeling superior, I would I would question the creator of Tenet more than I would question the people who are watching his film. But again, that's just me, and that is just this film. We will see how Tenet uh, causes Warner Brothers to react with Wonder Woman uh, 1984. That is also a Warner Brothers movie. We'll see if they stick with their only in theaters or decide to put it on streaming as well. I don't know. Consequently, and uh, I'll, I'll be putting up a quick review as well of Mulan, which I watched this weekend as well. And there's a conversation there too for Black Widow. So uh, we'll dive into that on a separate episode. But for now, and for Tenant, uh, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thank you so much for listening to Comics and Cinema. You can find me on Twitter at A Robots Wink or on Instagram at A Robots Wink. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you at the movies. Music.